Orson smiles upon the This Week in Retronauts because we're talking about Dragon Quest. Welcome to Retronauts Live, episode 14 for the week of, I don't know, next week, May 30th, June 1st, whatever. There's a holiday in there somewhere, so it's all going to be messed up. Um, but what's not messed up is that I'm your host, Jeremy Parrish, and with me this week is a huge cast. Oh, no, wait. It's a very small cast. It's almost like no one cares about Dragon Quest around here, hmm. except except the new guy. Absolutely, I am. Um, Introduce yourself, new guy. Yes, I'm Marty Sleva. I uh, this is my first week. I am the My Cheats intern, and you're here in the studio because uh, it is the 25th anniversary of two things. One <laughs> is me, and the other is oh, Dragon Quest. Oh yeah. So you're. Uh, so you're like siblings. Uh, absolutely. Brother from another mother. Uh, my middle name is Hiro. Is it? It is not. It oh, should be, though. That would be interesting. Right? In, in Japan, do they call you Marty Warrior? They do, absolutely. Marty Quest and your <laughs> Marty Warrior. Here. Something along those lines. Anyway, um, yeah, so I guess you're the only one at the office who's played Dragon Quest. I do. Or something I, like yes, that. Yes, We got rid of everyone else. I think that was one of the prerequisites for being fired back a few months ago. If you'd played Dragon Quest, you got sacked. Yeah, that. I lied. <laughs> I, I hid. You're wise. Mm. Or maybe they just kind of kept me around as the token. I don't know. You always need one. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, yeah, Dragon Quest, uh, I guess we should do the the usual rundown thing where we talk about what the games are and what they're about and so forth. They're basically an RPG. If you've played a Japanese RPG, you've played something that has a lot to do with Dragon Quest. It's kind of the template for an entire genre and uh, any American RPG or Western developed RPG that tries really hard to be a Japanese RPG also owes a lot to Dragon Quest. Um, but, you know, it's funny because Dragon Quest in turn owes a lot to uh, Western developed RPGs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, uh, like the history of the series. Uh, a bit. Um, you can totally catch us up though. No, 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 that's, that's fine. What do you know about it? Um, like the, the origins of Dragon Quest. Well, the origins, I mean, I've always thought of Dragon Quest and, and you know, in the America, Dragon Warrior as a, you know, video game version of Dungeons and Dragons. Kind of. Um, but there's there's kind of, you know, a, a layer of separation. Um, when you look back at the uh, the classic RPGs that really were inspired by D&D, you had things like Ultima and Wizardry, and those were the direct inspirations for Dragon Quest. But, but um you know the the developer of Dragon Quest was uh, the, the main guy behind it was a guy named Yuji Horii who still who still runs the series and calls the shots. It's it's kind of unusual that way. There aren't that many series, at least third party series, that are still run by the same guy who kicked them off. Maybe Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything yeah. else. Um, uh, anyway, he was uh, he had, he'd played some Japanese RPGs. Probably I, I've heard he might have been introduced to Japanese RPGs through Black Onyx, which was. 
a uh, a Japanese published RPG. It was specifically designed for uh, Japan, but it was designed by uh, Hank Rogers, who I think was Dutch. Anyway, he like was living in Japan and said, I'm going to make a game like Wizardry, but it's going to be in Japanese. And he did. And Japan said, wow, this is really great. And then they kind of, you know, some people who got, got into Black Onyx really got into uh, Wizardry, got into Ultima. Some people made their own RPGs. You, you ended up with uh, some very early, very Wizardry-like RPGs in Japan around like 1984, 85. Things that were a little further afield, like Falcom's games, like uh, Sorcerian and uh, Dragon Slayer. And then along came Dragon Quest. And that kind of, that really sort of set the tone and the standard for Japanese RPGs. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, like, uh, what what connections do you see with D&D and, and Dragon Quest? I mean, just from, you know, both monster types and creature types to um, the idea of, you know, especially with, with the first Dragon Quest, uh, it was really kind of crude and archaic graphics for the time um and outside well, it, it of depends. outside of, yeah outside of combat uh, yeah outside of combat absolutely outside of you know especially enemy sprites um so a lot of the adventure and there was a story which uh, personally for me it was the first game i ever played with a, a legitimate story mm-hmm. um but a lot of it was you know y- you got enjoyment out of it based on what you put into it and a lot of the story and a lot of the the adventures you would go on would be from your own imagination so at what point did you discover dragon warrior i assume yeah dragon warrior um i remember the the year we got our nes um it was it was late 89 and nintendo power was running a promotion that if you subscribe to the magazine for a year that you got a free copy of dragon warrior so you were like three? I was three, <laughs> yes. Um, my brother was a little bit older than me, so I, I feel like he was able to enjoy it at the time more than I was. But um, yeah, I mean, the thought of you know a free game in the mail sounded great, and, and it came. And I think you know, aside from that, I, I don't. We had Mario. I think that might have been the only thing we had, Mario mm-hmm. Duck Hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but this game, you know, playing it as 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 a three or four year old kind of just blew my mind in terms of scope and in terms of I don't know what to do. I cannot get out of this opening room. Yeah, well, I can see where um, if you didn't read yet, that might have been a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's kind of a, a tall order for a three year old. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was I was quite a bit older than you at that point, but um, Dragon Quest was or Dragon Warrior definitely. Uh, it wasn't the first story-based game I'd played because Ninja Gaiden had come out earlier that year and that was, you know, very heavily cinematic, very influenced by manga and anime and, uh, you know, had lengthy cutscenes between every level. But but what I liked about Dragon Warrior is that it starts you out on a quest. You're talking to the king and he says, I need you to save my daughter. The, the evil wizard has captured her. And that's, you know, pretty much bog standard for RPGs. And you go out and you start exploring, and the game is really just kind of an open world, and the, there there are basically no barriers in the world aside from meat gates, where you have enemies that are just way too difficult for you yeah, to take on yeah. until you level up and gain better equipment and stuff. So you just kind of explore, learn that you shouldn't cross bridges until you're stronger, and um, after about a quarter of the game, there's the princess, and you save her, and you're like, oh, well, that was the story, and then it turns out that's just kind of like the prologue and and there's a much bigger story beyond that. And the quest continues and expands all around the country. And, um, you know, final fantasy did that. Uh, it, it borrowed that exact same structure like a year later. It, it, um, 
you you're, you start out. The king's like, "Oh, my daughter's been kidnapped by Garland. Go save her." So you walk directly north of the castle and save her. And like five minutes later, you've kind of you know moved beyond that point. But but when Dragon Quest did it, it was new. It was different. It was uh, it was like you're not just saving the princess. You're you're going be above and beyond. And the princess is is very helpful because she tells you where to find the the very important things that you need to uh, be able to defeat the Dragon Lord. The ball of light. The ball of light and the was it the ball of light? The staff. I don't know. You create a rainbow. That's the important thing. <laughs> the rainbow bridge to Charlock Castle, and then you defeat the Dragon Lord. Yep. Uh, anyway, so there wasn't too much to it, but it was a uh, it was a cute little game, and then that kind of expanded further and and in, in sequels and. It's interesting because the games have expanded beyond that quite a bit, but at the same time, like every Dragon Quest is still very clearly derived from that Dragon Quest, the the very first one. Like, oh, it, there's no there's no doubt that they're all part of the same series. Absolutely. I mean, unlike Final Fantasy, which is really just spun out in you know countless directions. Um, yeah, Dragon Dragon Warrior and then Dragon Quest um, has definitely you know maintained its roots. Mm-hmm. So you got to respect it for that. Absolutely, there aren't a lot of series that that maintain that kind of fidelity. And people complain that uh, the the series has that sort of consistency, that constancy, um, and they see that as stagnation. But I, I think that that's actually a really big part of its popularity, at least uh, you know in Japan, where it's it's a really big deal. Um, people like knowing that they can always go back to Dragon Quest, and it will always be the game that they remember, and Absolutely. it will always be you know that that thing that they have fond memories of, and they can pass it on to their kids. And their kids are like, no, Dad, I want to play Monster Hunter, but at least they can try. That's the important thing. Have there been installments in the series that have really kind of been the black sheep of the family? Um, are there any of those? To my knowledge, all of them have been really successful in Japan. There was a lot of controversy around Nine. Like, there was a kind of an Amazon bombing effort after nine came out because some people didn't like how far it strayed from the, the dragon quest style. Um, but even so, I mean, that's been, I think it's the best selling dragon quest to date. And, uh, it's, it's also done really well outside of Japan, it sold more than a million copies in Europe and, and America. Um, I, I don't think that there are any dragon quest games that Japan's just like, screw you. Yeah. Dragon Quest Seven, Dragon Warrior Seven didn't really do so well over here, and people tend to look uh, unfavorably at, favorably at it outside of Japan. But it was really successful and popular there. So who knows? Mm-hmm. It's uh, different tastes, very much at work, and uh, the different perceptions of of the Dragon Quest series. Yeah, and I know the the creators have also credited the you know long term success of the series to the fact that when when someone picks up a Dragon Quest game, they know what they're in for. Right, that you know, it's it's almost like you know their version of the Nintendo seal of quality that you're you're getting something with the that who these artists have had their hands in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think that's kind of what Nintendo goes for with the Zelda games, but I don't know if uh, Zelda has quite the same amount of lore. Like, it, it's interesting because you know, if you look at Ocarina of Time versus Twilight Princess, they're pretty much the same game. If you look at Dragon Quest. Six versus Dragon Quest Nine, they're pretty much the same game, but but I feel like a lot of uh, Dragon Quest commonalities have to do with um, like weapons and and uh, like monsters and and skills and things like that that are part of a bigger sandbox. Whereas Zelda, it tends to be like you're picking up the same boomerang, you're picking up the same arrows yeah. and so forth. So it it does tend to feel a little. I don't know. I, I don't know that Zelda necessarily pulls off the 
the constancy thing quite in the same way as Dragon Quest, but, you know, to each their own. I guess we can find out what our listeners think by opening up the phone lines now, because it's after four o'clock, so we should, uh, we should brace ourselves for impact. All right. Oh, the phone lines are open, and already, already, we've got a phone call, maybe. Blown no, up. maybe. Oh, we do. Hi, thanks for calling Retronauts. Hey, What's up? This is, uh, Retronauts Live? This is Retronauts Live, yes. Excellent, I made it through. Are you the only one on, Jeremy? I'm not. I'm here with Mal- Marty Sliva, our uh, new Cheats intern. Hello? Ah, excellent. Good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not watching the live stream, so I don't know what all of you talked about in the first few minutes. Uh, have you talked much about the music? No, we haven't really talked about anything, but you haven't introduced yourself. Oh, oh, I'm Superboy Allen from Tennessee. Okay. Hi, Superboy Allen. Yep. We have not Hello. talked about the music. Is there something specific about the music that touches your soul and stirs your feelings? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. Um, the, the very first game, um, well, throughout the series, there's a lot of good music. And yeah, some of it's kind of samey because the studio keeps stealing from himself. But I'll just mention a few pieces and then kind of let you guys talk. Um, the Dragon Quest one, the, the dungeon music, how each time you would go down a floor, the, the music would keep going down, and then, like, you get to the final boss, and it's, like, you know, really, really, really deep and really slow, and then, you know, I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I don't remember that at all. So so the musical theme, like, lowered its pitch every time you went, you descended the floor? Yeah, it's just a really, really short loop. It's kind of do 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 and then the next, huh. when you go down to the next word, do, 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 and then do, do, and it keeps slowing down every time. And then by the time when you're in the final dungeon, it's like an octave and a half lower, and it's really, really creepy. Um, I did not realize that. It's been a long time since I played the first game. Right. Yeah, it's been a while for me, too. I've been going through the whole series. I'm kind of stuck on seven. Cause, because it goes forever? Yeah. It took, it took 22 hours for me to unlock jobs. So I think that was kind of fast, actually. Most people say 30. Yeah, I think Shane Penhausen was uh, exaggerating just a bit. No, I mean, that's generally whenever I've seen conversations online, people are like, yeah, it's about 30 hours. Yeah, yeah. So I you must know, be I just didn't... blazing through. I think because I had played like five and six before, and I kind of had the pacing of, oh, yeah, I get the boomerang and use that here and just keep the spamming howl with Gabo and all that. Um one other tune I didn't want to mention that I wanted to get y'all thoughts, and you know, of course not tie up the phone lines too much, but um, Dragon Quest VIII, and I find it interesting, uh, I've heard you guys talk on the podcast, that apparently the Japanese version did not have the orchestral soundtrack, that that was only in the American version when they brought it over. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, but one thing that was cool about that is, like, you probably, you know, from how many games you played, you probably noticed that strings, like with MIDI, don't always really mix really well, you can't get them quite right. But the, the strings, like, in there's one of the final dungeons. It's something that, as a professional musician, I kind of pick up on as a string player myself. There's one of the dungeons where the strings are doing, like, a tremolo, like, really, really fast bowing. And then the whole string section, at the same time, they move their bows in really close to the bridge. So it sounds all, like, gritty and kind of whistly, like, psycho sort of thing. And then they move them away. And it's one of these things that I don't know how that is in the Japanese version, but you, you can't do that with MIDI. And it's just... A really subtle thing, but it's really cool. Um, hmm. Yeah, just a little nuance. But I'm, I'm curious as to y'all's, uh, y'all's favorite tracks or anything that sticks out in your memory. Um, Marty? You know, the music isn't one of the things that 
that really sticks out for me, at least in the first game. I mean, maybe I was too young playing it originally for, for the music to, to really have yeah. an impact. Yeah, I I know a lot of people really worship Dragon Quest music, but um, like to me, it's, it's kind of there and I it's pleasant, but it doesn't really stick in my mind. But I really did love the uh, the theme in the, uh, whatever it's called, the the heaven area of Dragon Quest Nine. Like where you know where you start out and where all the angels live yeah. before That's the game really begins. One I haven't gotten to yet. I keep hearing it's the best, but um, I, I don't know. Some people say it's it's good. Some people say it's not so good. But I, I really like just that music as you were running around, kind of the starting town up in the sky. Uh, it, ha- right. it has a really nice sort of uh, mellow theme to it. Very, uh, very melancholy. So it's 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 a. I don't know. I've heard a lot of complaints about the Dragon Quest Nine soundtrack, but but like that one track well, sticks out for me a lot. From the orchestral stuff, stuff no, I mean just uh, that people have said the the themes aren't as memorable. You know, the the yeah. diehard fans were really yeah. down on it, but I don't know. I I, I really enjoyed parts of it. What's that? He might be running ideas by this point. Yeah, he's like ninety or something. He's too yeah. busy talking about how the the Japanese oppression of China never happened in World War Two to to spend time coming up with new new themes. But oh well. Anyway, um, yeah, we're going to move on to another caller, but thanks for calling Superboy Alan. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Superboy Jeremy. Superman. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Hi, thanks for calling Retronauts. Who who do I have the pleasure of speaking to? Hi, this is Carrie from Los Angeles. Hello. Um, I had a question for you guys. I was wondering if either of you had played Dragon Quest Monsters Caravan Heart on the Game Boy Advance. I have not played that because it did not come to the U.S. Uh, there's a fan translation out, I know, but I don't know if that's yeah, finished yet. Yeah, that's what yet. I played, actually. Uh, is it a complete translation? Yeah, actually it is. Well, why don't you... Uh, Marty, I, I assume you haven't. I have not, no. Okay. Yeah, why don't you edumacate us? Uh, well, actually, I thought it was kind of cool because you play as Kiefer from... Or Kiefer, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, from Dragon Warrior 7, mm-hmm. and he's a child... And he ends up getting transported to another universe, and that universe happens to be the Alfgard Torland universe from the first three Dragon Quest games. And it takes place a hundred years after the events of Dragon Quest Two. And I thought that was really cool because that trilogy is kind of my favorite of the series, and three being my all-time favorite Dragon Quest game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was neat that they brought that world back. And so I asked that because I was actually curious if any of you guys were interested in seeing another Dragon Quest game that goes back to that world. Um, I don't really have that much attachment to it, but I, I didn't actually know about that that connection. I knew I knew that Kiefer was the uh, the main character of Caravan Hearts, but I didn't realize it was set in Alefgard. Um, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, um, I thought it was a cool surprise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's nice when when series are self referential like that, but I I hate for it to go too far. I mean, if it's been done, I don't know that there's necessarily a point in it happening again. Um, did you ever play um, the uh, the the mystery dungeon game that had young young Yangus from Final Fantasy or from Dragon Quest Eight? No, I never got a chance to. Alas, yeah, I, I don't know uh, why Caravan Hearts didn't make it to the U.S. I think it was uh, just kind of in that period where Enix was merging with Square and they were trying to figure out what they were doing. But uh, yeah, from think, what I think so, I think it was around like fairly shortly after that time, probably. right? But from what I understand, Young Yangus was uh, localized and ready to be released in the U.S., but they eventually canned it at the last minute for whatever reason. Oh, I didn't reason. know that. That's, that's too bad. 
It's a it's a series whose tale is rife with tragedy. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I uh, no, but wonder I'll... is is this game going to actually come out? You know, I even though like they've been pretty good the last couple of games, but I just remember the whole debacle when uh, they were going to bring over the PlayStation re-release of Dragon Warrior Four, and they had the ad for it in the instruction manual of Seven, and then it never actually came out. And I remember that being so disappointing. Yeah, Dragon Warrior Dragon Quest has always kind of walked this tragic tightrope of uh, of, re- of release and localization for the U.S. because it's just, I don't know, it's a really big deal in Japan, and Japan feels like it should be a big deal in America, but it just never quite catches on the way that they expect. So each game, there's always kind of the question, like, will they or won't they? Um, it seems like, you know, having hooked up with a Nintendo, the chances are better than average for future games to come over, but at the same time, who knows if, like, Dragon Quest Joker 2 will come over, or the Dragon Quest Collection, or even Dragon Quest Ten, which uh, won't be out until next year in Japan, so probably 2013 in the U.S., which would be on yeah, Wii, and who's going who's gonna to want to publish a Wii game with that much effort put into it on, in 2013? That's a, that's, a, that's a tough order. Yeah, it makes me a little worried, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, though, I think Nintendo's done a lot better marketing it here, since they've taken over the, the reins of doing that in the U.S., but... Yeah, it seems like it. All right, thanks for calling. Thank you. All right, thank you. Do you think it's safe to say that a uh, Dragon Quest Eleven will be announced as a launch title for Project FA? No. Okay. No. Um, I can talk more about that later, but... Hi, thanks for calling Retronauts. Who's this and what's up? Hi, this is uh, Nathan from uh, Newport News, Virginia. Also... Born in Ohio to keep the Midwest connected. <laughs> there you go. Oh, but we've had someone from L.A. already and Tennessee. You're, you're the first Midwesterner, really. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm, I'm from Michigan. I'm a, gradu- I'm a graduate of the University of Tennessee, however, so even got the Tennessee going. All right. Uh, I had my, well, Dragon Quest, I was actually one that posted on the story. Dragon Quest was very influential in my life. As a eight-year-old, that was like the first game that really captured me. It uh, enabled me to envision, like, exploring this huge, fast world, even though I had to fight slimes for, like, the first couple hours. (laughs) But uh, anyways, I wanted to know, like, it caught on very strongly with me being this one powerful character who could do everything, heal myself, hand battle, and fight enemies, and use the hurt magic. Uh, Why didn't it catch on with uh, other Americans, do you think? Um... Well, I don't know. I think I think that there are a fair number of people like you and like me and like Marty here who uh, all have, you know, have these memories of Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior. And, you know, for us, it was this kind of new odyssey, this this really vast game that was kind of unparalleled for anything that we uh, any by anything we'd played before. But at the same time, Dragon Warrior uh, came out in America three and a half years after it was released in Japan. And it was not an attractive game. It was very, very primitive looking. Like, the monsters looked cool. They were well drawn. But but really, everything else about the game was very ugly, very dated. I mean, it came out after Mega Man 2, after Ninja Gaiden, after, you know, after the, uh, after the launch of the Sega Genesis, actually. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tough order. That, that's, that's saying, hey, here's a great adventure. And if you can look past the fact that it's extremely primitive looking and looks like, you know an NES game from 1986, it's really great. And, you know, if you can get past the fact that it has, like, three musical themes in it, and if you can get past the fact that it's very text-heavy and very slow-paced, I mean, it's 
it was just a, a style of game that wouldn't necessarily, you know, have a guarantee to catch on with with American gamers, and uh, the the huge delay in localizing it really didn't help. I think. I don't know. What did right. you think about the game when you played it? Like visually, did did the uh, did the the graphics turn you off, or did you care? I thought it was the most amazing game ever because you'd see a huge scorpion. I mean, if you look at a real scorpion, they're tiny. <laughs> like, this thing got blown out, blown out on my screen. I'm, to me, it was like the greatest thing ever. It was like a, a F, or like a first person view before you know, ten fifteen years before first person uh, shooters became popular. So. Yeah, I mean I that was, was the the monster graphics, the battle graphics are really the saving grace of the original Dragon Warrior. And actually, the battles look a lot better in Dragon Warrior than in subsequent games, the the next three games, uh, because they switched away from the one on one combat for the sequels to have a three character party and also multiple enemies in battle. But the the change to having more enemies in there meant that they had to take out the background, so you just fought enemies against blank black screens, which. You know, I, I thought it was kind of a step back visually. Um, the the first game, there was always a background that had you know the the scenery of the area you were in, and the the enemies really popped against that background. It was really cool, um, and I really did like the design of the enemies long before I'd ever heard of Akira Toriyama or Dragon Ball. Like I just, I thought the characters looked really great. They were really memorable. You had the little smiling slimes. You had golems reaching out to crush you. You had skeletons kind of taking a step forward with, to swing their swords. And even though it was all static, it all it all you know conveyed a sense of action and adventure. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you there. Like once you got into battle and out of the really ugly town scenes, um, it's it went from being functional to being really fun and cool. Marty, your you know, thoughts? I, I absolutely agree with that. The uh, you know the the parts that stuck with me when I was much younger were the battles and were you know obviously Akira Toriyama's drawings, but also the characters had so much life and and style to them that just you weren't used to seeing in video games then i mean if you think about mario brothers you know your enemies people weren't really sure what a goomba was or you know what a koopa troopa was but uh you know there was a specter that was a ghost with a little witch hat on it um yeah i mean that really did a lot for the game i thought yeah and i think i think the nes audience wasn't the same as the pc gaming audience so you know pc gamers took rpgs for granted by 1989, that was something that had been on the platform for 10 years since Akalabeth and Ultima and Wizardry debuted. Um, but in NES games, you you know, it was more direct. Like, console games had always been, uh, like, you press a, a direction and you hit a button and you attack something or you jump. And moving to menu-based commands was was adding this kind of layer of abstraction that I think a lot of people found really off-putting because it was just so foreign and different to people who had grown up playing Mario and Pac-Man that uh, it was, you know, it was something outside their experience and uh, something that they didn't really necessarily understand or enjoy to begin with. For my part, I actually liked um, how text-heavy the game was because video games to that point, at least NES games, uh, when they had text, it was usually terrible and impossible to understand. And everything in Dragon Warrior was really well-written. It was kind of this faux Elizabethan English and... It was uh, it was very formal and stiff, but you know it 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 had a sense of personality that that I appreciated. So I don't know. I feel like the things that I liked about Dragon Warrior were the thing, also the things that most people didn't like about it. In short, I guess I'm saying I'm weird. 
I liked as an eight-year-old that I didn't get, or I could uh, keep playing for hours and hours and hours, even if I got killed a couple times. So that's what I loved about it, too. Um, anyways, just leaving, uh, what about the translation? And I'll go ahead and hang out. Uh, you mean, what, what do you mean about the translation? Well, I, I see what uh, Yuji Hori did with the other games and how they were, uh, you know, like looking back, like playing Dragon Quest V and stuff, seeing more of the character in there. But it seems like they tried to transition the translation into Old English all of a sudden with uh, when they localized it for the United States. I don't know. I can't read Japanese, so I can't imagine that the translation reads the same in Japan. No, actually, Mr. Hori has said, like, uh, I interviewed him a few months ago, and he said that, um, you know, he's a writer first and foremost, so he's always been concerned about the localization and... He wasn't sure that you know the the original take on the the localization was necessarily what he wanted, and he's he's really happy with kind of the way that the the newer localizations convey the sense of humor that he tries to write into the games. But at the same time, I, I understand kind of what they were going for with the original localizations. They were you know shooting for well, I think they just wanted to give the games a sense of personality and because of the limitations of, of cartridge space, you can't get as much info across in an English localization for an NES game as you can in the original Japanese. So, you know, they were kind of cramped with space. So instead of being able to give a direct uh, translation and, and really get the personalities across in their original form, what they did was they basically just said, here is a, a medieval adventure where you're, you're traveling around an ancient land speaking to knights about dragons, and so they just kind of went with uh, classical English as a shorthand, which, you know, I, I, I can't begrudge them that, because localization is always about making compromises and doing the best that you can with the space and resources you have, and I, I think, you know, Dragon Warrior was one of the first really well-localized games, even though it wasn't necessarily completely true to the original spirit of the games in Japanese. Uh, it it had its own personality and and it got the point across and I think it worked on its own terms. That's my opinion anyway. I'm sticking with it. Okay, I'll go ahead and hang up. Thanks. All right, thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, new intern. (laughs) Oh, you're very welcome. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, if you grew up, if you were just playing Mario or, you know, Duck Hunt or, you know, fairly simple NES games that just in the first, you know, monologue that the that the king has one sentence has a the uh, thy and a thou, and I I have to imagine that a vast majority of the audience was immediately turned off when they when they read that, and the fact that when you got to stairs, you had to manually input that you wanted to climb said stairs. Yeah, that's something that I don't miss from the games. Is uh, although you know they they do still make that an option, mm-hmm. like in, in Dragon Quest Nine, you can pull up a menu to to open doors and climb stairs, but you don't have to. And I appreciate the fact that. It's there as kind of a legacy, but it does, it's not forced on you. It's not yeah. inflicted on you. And it seems like no one's calling, so I'm going to ask your, answer your question earlier about Dragon Quest XI being a cafe launch title. First of all, Cafe is going to launch next year, and Dragon Quest X is coming out next year. So I don't think that there will be two core Dragon Quest titles in the same year. But also, more importantly, um, Enix and Yuji Hori are very conservative about Dragon Quest games, and they only publish on platforms that they know will be very, very successful. So they always look to the most successful platforms where they can have the the biggest, highest sales opportunities. And uh, you'll never you'll never see a Dragon Quest game 
at a at, the, at a system's launch just because like no one owns a system at that point. It's like a, an install base of a million people, and you know they they shoot for four to five million units sold. So so they're going to wait until a system kind of catches on. I I could actually see Dragon Quest Eleven maybe being for PlayStation Three, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely not a cafe launch title. Now, if Cafe is a success, then it's perfectly likely that there will be Dragon Quest Eleven on Cafe five years from now, but or 3DS five years from now. Who knows? Anything's possible. I feel, I feel Anything's like, possible except a launch title. There you go. Well, companies have had to court them, though. I mean, trying to get that to be a launch title, because imagine in Japan what that would do for sales. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised at the lack of phone calls here. That's no this. love. I know, right? People thought people liked Dragon Quest. Oh, it's very heartbreaking. I guess we just have to make stuff up and talk for a little while longer. Um, did you play any of the other Dragon Quest games, Dragon Warrior games for NES? Uh, not for NES, no. No, I played them later on in, on PS2 and the DS. Okay, so no. you haven't played 2, 3, 4? No, I haven't. And, and you know, it, the anniversary collection is coming out in Japan, correct, mm-hmm. for the Wii? Um, do you think there's any chance of, of seeing that stateside? Um, I know that sounds stupid, but I'm going to say it's a 50-50 on that one. Uh, it doesn't seem like there would be a lot of work involved in bringing that over, but I, I imagine that to bring it over, they would want to relocalize the games completely to bring them up to the, the current standard of the games. And uh, so that means going in, and I think they're just basically ROMs being emulated, so they would have to reprogram the original ROMs, which I don't know how eager they are to do that. Um, that might be a technical difficulty that would stand in the way, and also the um, the the collection consists of Dragon Quest one, two, and three, and then the Super Famicom sixteen bit remakes of Dragon Quest one, two, and three, and the the remakes never came to the U.S. Okay. So that's another potential complication. Yeah. I mean, even if they just dumped the Dragon Quest Dragon Warrior one, two, and three ROMs onto the in their original form. Uh, onto the the emulation collection, like those game the 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 remakes aren't localized. Yeah. They haven't ever ever haven't ever been localized, so that could uh, that could cause problems. And none of the games are available on Virtual Console, correct? right? This is what you're getting instead of Virtual Console. I think I think um, Enix is really determined to maintain the perception of value for the series, so you never. I don't know. You see, you see remakes of the games on cell phones, but but you never you never see um, you know like virtual virtual console type games or services. Uh, you never see the games in that format, and I think it's because I don't know. Maybe there's a perception that once a game is, has hit that point, then you can't remake it and resell it. So who knows? But yeah, I, I don't think we'll ever see the Dragon Quest games on virtual console. We'll we'll see them as a collection. I guess maybe we should cut this episode short. There's not a lot of calling happening. I guess so. Huh. I thought people like Dragon Quest. I guess not. Well, it is kind of weird timing because uh, most people are probably heading out for the holiday weekend. That's true. I didn't know Memorial Day was that big a holiday, but like everyone's leaving work early. Yeah, that's everyone's talking about barbecues, and even though it's the week before E3, everyone's like, "Don't come in to work Monday." So, who knows? Um... I don't know what other what other Dragon Quest memories do you have? We can wrap this up on a Dragon positive Quest note. Memories. On a positive note, I believe <laughs> the, the that subscription evidently that had a you know quite an impact on my life. But that subscription to Nintendo Power, uh, the issue came with I believe there was a cloth map or a guidebook. 
Um, uh, it wasn't or, a cloth like, map. There was a guidebook. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, you know, to think of back then, like the, to those extremes that, you know, if you want to complete this game, you know, as a kid, you would need these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that was kind of cool. Whereas, you know, all the other games that we had kind of relied on just reflexes and, you know, repetition. Uh, this, this was something a little more like something a little deeper back then. Yeah, the the uh, the Nintendo Power Guidebook. The it was kind of like about this big, not a full magazine size, and brown. Um, that had a lot of artwork in it that I actually copied, not 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 traced, but um, we had to do some assignment for my English class where we had to draw like posters, okay. and um, for whatever reason, I don't remember exactly what I was drawing, but uh, I drew a poster and copied out an image, an illustration of the sword, and uh, did it all in pastels and. My teacher thought it was awesome, and my classmates were like, "Wow, awesome!" And I was like, "Yeah, there you power. go." They'll never know. They never did, did they they? until know. now. That's right, because they're all listening. If they're all, yeah, I'm sure they are. They're all like, "Okay, we got your number, Parish. You duped us 25 years ago." Yep. Now the truth is out. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't see the need to belabor this at all. So, I guess that'll uh, that'll take care of Dragon Quest's retrospective for us. And of course, this was just you know talking about the first game in the series. I'm sure at some point we'll talk about some of the others at such a time as it may be necessary, but but maybe there's just not that much to say about Dragon Warrior. It was a it was a simple game. It was a simple game, but an influential game. Yeah, definitely influential. I mean, it was it was deep for its time, and it had a lot of content. But kind of the point of it was that it was a simple game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was taking the idea of an RPG and distilling it down into something. Um, that worked on a console that you could, you know, navigate menus with a D-pad and and make simple choices with just two buttons. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't designed to be complicated. It was designed to be appealing uh, and accessible. And you know, uh, the last caller mentioned something about how he liked, you know, as an eight year old being able to play the game and uh, never have to worry about getting a game over. And I think that was a deliberate uh, design decision on the part of. The, uh, the creators mm-hmm. to not spurn or turn away uh, players, you know, not not to punish them for failure, but instead, you know, give them a chance to keep slowly building up their levels and building up their resources until finally they could triumph over whatever obstacle had, had thwarted them. And that's something that still remains in the game to this day, which I think is is one of its more I don't know. I think it's 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 one of the better design design elements of the series, and it's something that I wish we could see in games more often because it's really frustrating to go in and you know spend an hour in a dungeon and then die, and you've lost that hour of your life. And you know, knowing that you've lost something, there's a penalty. You lose money, but but it's not game over. It's not the end of the world for you. That, that's always it's kind of reassuring and makes me a little bolder about going in and, and questing in these games. Yeah, games are quick to kind of punish you for failure but not too many of them are quick to reward you for perseverance right that's true uh, you know it's funny people complain about demon souls and how hard that is but it's one of the few games that actually does kind of give you a persistent state even after death i mean there are definitely punishments for death in that game like if you fail you've definitely failed but it's still not game over like there's still you, you can still keep playing and uh, I, I tend to be drawn to games like that. Also, roguelike games, like yeah. Sharon the Wanderer, which actually evolved out of Dragon Quest. Yeah. Um, you know, when you die in, in Sharon, you lose all your levels, you lose all your equipment that's currently on your, in, in your inventory, and you're sent back to the beginning of the game. But it's still not the end of the game 
because the things that you've done along the way there's some there's some persistence there and the uh the game just kind of gradually changes and evolves as you play through and as you uh kind of hack at it mm-hmm. eventually you'll affect enough changes in the game world that you know the 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 uh, odds become pitched a bit more in your favor even though you start out ostensibly at level one every time mm-hmm. like the longer you play the better your odds I, I like design like that in games and I wish more games would experiment with that kind of, you know, like failure isn't necessarily the end of the world concept or, you know, death isn't necessarily failure. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good philosophy. And I think yeah. that's, that's something Dragon Quest does really well. And I think it has a lot to do with its sort of universal broad appeal beyond just the core gaming market. Absolutely. Anyway, thanks for the two or three of you who happen to be listening. Maybe we should have uh, mentioned the phone number, but ah, they can do that on the side. <laughs> if anyone's watching this, the phone number's right underneath. I guess no one wanted to talk to us this week. How sad. Um, Slime said. <laughs> but anyway, um, I believe right around now, um, we have published a big five-part Dragon Quest 25th anniversary retrospective with features by me and some other people. And I I think that should be up on the site now. If it's not, it'll definitely be on the site by the time this podcast goes live. So I invite everyone to go check that out. Um, it, it has a bunch of different perspectives, even a comic. It's just awesome. Oh, the phone system's broken. Oh, no. Wow. That's okay. not good for business. I guess that's why. <laughs> that's right. They were doing phone maintenance today. I totally forgot about that. They did. Of course, they announced that in email yeah. after we had announced this. This podcast. All right then. <laughs> yeah, they they did say something about um taking like the mail system offline. Maybe the phones are affected by that. Yeah. Oh well. It's doomed from the start. I guess so. Well, we're boned. Uh-huh. Such is life. Maybe in the future the phones will work properly, but for now uh, thanks for enjoying this half baked episode of Retronauts Live. Retronauts half live. Retronauts the zombie version. Anyway, um, yeah, (laughs) well, that kind of took the wind out of my sails, but um, we'll talk about Dragon Quest again sometime when the phones work and people can call in and talk to us in the future. It won't be quite so uh, anticlimactic. So I guess this is episode 14.1. Yes. Anyway, next week, we'll try to make sure the phones work. If not, we'll take chat comments or Skype. I don't know. We'll make this happen. We'll make it happen. I swear to God. Thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and enjoy your holiday weekend, unless you're not American, in which case it's nothing for you. Enjoy your weekend. 